This is a Federal News Network podcast. Congress has managed to always pass the National Defense Authorization Bill on time, but always with a little drama. This year, members of the House Armed Services Committee are on the Pentagon's case for sustainment costs of its weapon systems. For this and other late developments in the defense domain, Federal News Network's DOD reporter Scott Massioni and Jared Serbu. And Jared, I can understand the concern about containment co- sustainment costs. I was just talking to someone in the carrier group, and it may cost $11 billion to build a carrier, but at least once in its lifetime, you have to spend $5 billion just to refresh it halfway through. So between those 25 years, there's a lot of other costs. What is Congress thinking about now for this NDAA? The department spends 70% of the the total acquisition cost um, in the sustainment phase, not in the procurement phase. And of course, the procurement is where all the media attention goes, where all the congressional attention goes, where to a large extent, a lot of the department's own attention goes. But that other 70% gets substantially less attention most of the time. And I think this is a congressional effort to try to fix that. The department is required and the military services are already required to draw up detailed sustainment plans for each individual system. But this would require DOD to develop a, an, an overarching sustainment strategy um, to, to guide all of its sustainment efforts across all of those systems. And and also, there's a, there's a separate provision in the House NDA that would require each of the military services to appoint a senior-level deputy assistant secretary to do nothing but sustainment work. So really is an attempt to make a systematic change, I think, raise the profile of sustainment issues across the entire acquisition apparatus. And that relates to another item that you are writing about, and that is the probe being launched into the F-35 parts deal. They're already into sustainment cost issues with a plane that isn't even fully delivered yet. That's right. We saw a letter for the first time from the House Oversight, uh, I almost said House Oversight and Government Reform Committee, but now it's just the House Oversight Committee, to Lockheed Martin, where they are asking for many, many documents that would get into issues around electronic equipment logs and basically what these are are exactly what they say they're electronic logs that are associated with spare parts so each time a spare part that qualifies as needing to be entered into these EELs um, goes to a base where they're supposed to be used uh, as as a you know depot level replacement or, or at even just a base itself um, it, it's supposed to be logged properly into that EEL. And if it's not, if that's a part that's supposed to be in the EEL and it's installed, it will trigger an alert in the F-35's automated logistics information system. That part could be perfectly good, but if it's not entered properly in the database, it will show a flag saying the aircraft is not ready to fly and there, there's a safety problem. So what what has come out over various IG and GAO reports over the years is that DOD is having to spend enormous amounts of time and money trying to figure out which one of these Alice alerts are genuine and which one of them are caused by just a failure to have the 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 part properly entered into the logbook. They say that's cost the department north of a hundred million. I'm sorry, north of three hundred million dollars over the years, along with you know tens of millions in ongoing per year costs if this issue is not addressed. In other words, look, Dave, I'm not ready to fly now. Basically, yes, even though, again, that part may be perfectly good. It's just an electronic paperwork snafu, basically. And Scott, the Space National Guard might be on hold also in the NDAA. Tell us what's going on there. Yeah, this is something that Congress and the Defense Department have been thinking about for quite a while. Since the beginning of the Space Force, they've wanted a Space National Guard to come out. However, there's a report that's supposed to be due to Congress here in the near future, and Congress kind of wants to wait on that. And the Senate at this point is slowing down what it's going to take 
to create this this National Guard and slowing down their their consideration of it until they really get that report back. And what they really want to find out is that the organization is best suited to discharge an effective and efficient manner the missions intended to be assigned to it. And one of the things that you and I have talked about in the past is, you know, how do you really know what a space National Guard or an independent state is going to be using a space mission for? Because Maryland, for instance, doesn't necessarily need something in space. However, if they have, you know, a problem like uh, a forest fire or something like that, they can call on the Space National Guard. This is what some experts think and pinpoint where that is from a satellite. And that's how it would be within the jurisdiction of an individual sure. state and not just a national mission. So bottom line, it's on hold for now. Exactly. And COVID-19 lessons learned. I guess now this is something Congress wants to say to DOD. All right, what did you learn, despite the protestations that DOD says it's overcome the whole thing in terms of readiness? I think part of the issue is so many of the things the department and the military services have done, and they deserve a lot of credit for having done them, are temporary workarounds. Some of them are not. They, they invested a huge amount of money expanding their network bandwidth to enable that telework. But some of the other things, like the Microsoft Teams solution that they've settled on, just is not accessible from inside military networks. So it's it's really only a telework solution for the time being. But when you go across the department and you listen to IT leaders from the DOD CIO down to individual program level, uh, program level officials, they will tell you that we learned a lot out of COVID-19. And we're going to have to take a lot of these considerations into account as we're thinking about the future of designing defense networks. So essentially what the Senate is doing here is just requiring them to put some of those lessons learned down on paper so they're not forgotten. And they are actually incorporated into the DOD's IT modernization plans. And, and the form that that would take is they are requiring DOD to update uh, its its um, uh, IT modernization strategy to incorporate some of those COVID-19 lessons learned. And when they submit their budget request for 2022, delineate exactly how much they think it's going to cost and make a specific request to make those long-term network upgrades to make DOD networks more resilient over time. And Scott, moving away from the NDAA, there is something about uh, CBD use policies coming from the Defense Department. I guess they don't mean pot, but they mean cannabis-based derivative substances. I guess that's going to be of high interest to everyone. What is the latest? Exactly. So if you remember from the 2018 Agriculture Improvement Act, CBD was legalized. And since then, I'm sure when you're driving around or whenever you're at a store, all you see is CBD products somewhere. You know, they have creams and things you can smoke. They put it in the gyms even. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's literally everywhere. Uh, however, the Defense Department is making moves to make sure that that, that is a violation of the Uniform Code of Military Justice. And uh, the reason for that is because CBD is allowed to have up to 0.3% THC, which is the active ingredient within cannabis within that. Uh, And so really what they're trying to say is that service members can't rely on the packaging and labeling of hemp products regarding, you know, if there's THC within this product and that could cause them to be uh, your analysis test to be a positive and therefore uh, hurt their uh, their service member jobs. What they're doing is this this established uh, really March first. It's been around for quite a while now, but it's really just kind of coming into light now. This memo makes CBD a punishable offense within uh, within the uh, the military community. And before it was really just something that they kind of put a pause on. They were like, you know, don't do it. We highly discourage it. This could hurt your your chances in your career. This actually makes it a punishable offense unless you have some sort of specific pharmaceutical need for it. So don't do it. Exactly. 
Federal News Network's Scott Mossioni and Jared Serbu. Their latest DOD Reporter's Notebook is available now at federalnewsnetwork.com. When you think about something that brings out the best in us, it usually involves helping someone else. By donating plasma at a Griffel Center, you can help save millions of lives and show your good side to the world. You'll join thousands of people who donate safely each week, so patients get the plasma-derived medicines they rely on. And you'll be rewarded up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.